Ready? Steady! Let's go! Whee! Where are we going, Noah? To Hollywood, Brett. What for? It's the great Hollywood adventure. But I'm scared. Don't worry. We're going to have lots of guests along the way. Like the Wizard of Oz? Even better. Yay! Let's, Let's get, get the, the show, show started. started. Hey, guys. What's going on? Um, today, we've got a really cool episode with a uh, writer-director, Shinji Masawa. Yes. Um, he's got a really cool movie coming out in February. But uh, today... This is a guy who started from the ground up the last 15 years and now is a huge success story. Uh, take a listen. Um, there's some really great insight in there. Yeah, really good really good perspective on a lot of different different avenues, um, especially just kind of like what it's like on the other side of the table for an actor, you know, when they're going in for auditions. Um, for the producers and the, and the directors and, and all that insight. Yeah. So check it out. Here let's, we go. Let's get started. Woo. Hey, everybody, what's up? This is Brett from The Great Hollywood Adventure. That's right. This is Noah, and today we are very lucky. We have Shin Shimosawa. Hello. Thank you. In the far corner over there is Shin yes. Shimosawa. Yes, he's he's all separated by himself. He's in, his, <laughs> he's in his chair and we're on a couch. So, But you look great. Thank you. You look great, too. Thank you very much. So, And for all of our listeners, you can actually watch this episode in virtual reality. Check out LARails.com and the virtual reality department, and it will lead you there. Well, yeah, it would just go to the uh, the podcast. We're going to have a link to a YouTube video. You can like you can still watch it on your phone in 360 and then... Uh, or put it on Gear VR headset and watch yeah. that way. Or cardboard, Google Cardboard. Anyway... Shin Shimosawa, welcome. Welcome to the penthouse. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So, so Shin, you have a pretty incredible thing going right now. Um, you're a very talented writer, but you're also very fortunate, and you're a very you're a working director. You just got off a big feature film. Um, why don't you give us a little bit about your story, uh, what you're doing, and, and how you kind of got there? Um, okay. Uh, well, I... I'm from Chicago. I uh, was born and raised in Chicago. I went to school in D.C. And like most people, I was interested in movies at a very young age. And um, I came out to L.A. and interned. And then I worked at, uh, I started in the mailroom at William Morris. Okay. And then after that, I worked at a studio for a little while. And then, to be frank, I started writing because I, uh, I lost my job at the studio. The studio folded. The whole company folded. And everyone was kind of displaced. So I was like, ah, I'll try writing a script. And I think I was naive in thinking, I read all these scripts and I thought that I can do it better. And then, you know, after a couple of years of saying, well, why aren't I doing it better? I realized that it could be very difficult. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a really great learning experience during the time. But I started writing because uh, basically the studio folded. So then I started working on honing how to write and then kind of the language of writing and then understanding why the people that are successful at it became so successful. And I think that that was probably the best education I got in writing. Yeah. And, and then what was your big break for writing, like actually being a professional writer? The first, uh, we got kind of lucky. The first, um, I had a writing partner at the time. The first feature we wrote got optioned. And it was to a guy named Andrew Form, who's now a big producer. He produces, uh, he's Michael Bay's partner, and he produces a lot of, he has a company called Platinum Dunes. But back then, he was also a young burgeoning producer and he optioned our script for like three thousand dollars and we thought it was like the greatest thing in the world <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's phenomenal that is i mean hey i mean like how many writers go without getting their scripts i mean even looked at yeah right yeah right yeah, yeah. so it was so. really great and then we got um 
we got the opportunity to write an episode of a show called Crossing Jordan. And then from then on, we st- were staffed on a bunch of TV shows. And then uh, we were working on features and kind of toggling back and forth. And it's been uh, it was a pretty wild ride. Well, and, and, then, and then that opportunity of writing, I mean, one, you then got into this successful world of writing features, TV, and then that led into your directing. You know, I've been doing this for 15, 18 years. So it's it was pretty much a push towards writing and producing. And then um, an opportunity came up, and I took it, and it was uh, uh, aggressively gave me a fast education in directing. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. so now, what is the feature film you just got off? Uh, it's a f- legal thriller called Misconduct. Yeah. And it comes out in February, and it's a Lionsgate movie. Oh, nice. And it stars uh, Josh Duhamel is the lead. He's the lawyer. His wife is played by Alice Eve. His um, girl, his. The femme fatale's ex-girlfriend is Malin Ackerman. Um, his boss is Al Pacino. The guy that they're suing is Anthony Hopkins. The cop that's investigating is Julia Stiles. The killer is a guy named Byung Hun Lee, and his best friend. Is Wait, are you guy. supposed to give that away? Yes. The killer. Yeah. Okay, so we all know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, the. Uh, oh, that's just his, that's just the character's name. It's just the killer. Yeah. 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 Um, and and his best friend is a um, a guy named Glenn Powell, and it's just such an amazing cast. And then the other lead is your girlfriend, Leah McKendrick. She is also yeah. in it. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. awesome. That, all right, all right. Pays to kiss Shin. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, nice, dude. That that's that's incredible. Well, I, I think when we get into like more of asking about actors, I'm going to ask you a lot about what it's like to to work specifically with those types of actors. For sure. And, well, Shin, I think before we go off, like, because we, I feel like we have so much we can ask you about, yeah. like, working with all those ask- actors and, and kind of, like, some successful habits that you've seen them have and advice that mm-hmm. you want to share and stuff like that. But I think uh, let's let's have some fun and, and chat about movies for a second. Okay. Yeah. What's a, looking back at all the films you watched, what was a, a, a scene in a movie that you could say inspired you or was particularly memorable? Like, inspired me to get into filmmaking? Whatever you want. It could be to, to wake up with a smile on your face um, or something. Well, this this uh, this is actually a little more like I was in college and I didn't understand that people actually made movies, even though I understood the concept of that somebody was making them. I, I always looked at them as entertainment, and I watched a movie called The Player um, with Tim Robbins, and there was a scene where these executives were kind of talking about how they come up with stories, and um, and uh, it was pretty interesting because they you know there was they were kind of saying in the scene they were kind of saying that there is no new stories that they. Kind of, they can rip stories from the headlines and that they can kind of regurgitate the same stories. But looking at it from like that studio, like 40,000 feet up in the air, and then seeing what kind of, the, what kind of films that they were supposedly making in the, in the movie, and the movie's about a film studio, it was really inspiring. It was really kind of cool. And I'm like, I, I kind of want to learn the business of how they come up with these movies. And well, Do you remember any dialogue or like a moment in that movie that you were like, yeah, daddy? Yeah, I mean, it was, the, the, well, there's one piece of dialogue I'll always remember. It's Tim Robbins is a studio executive, and Vincent D'Onofrio is a very kind of nebbish, bizarre writer who's trying to get his script read. And um, Tim Robbins starts getting these postcards, and it's it's just this really fascinating thriller, and he starts getting these postcards that, that are saying, I know what you did, I know I know that you're, you're a bad guy. And he drives out and, and confronts Vincent D'Onofrio, and Vincent D'Onofrio turns to him and says, I, I, I'm a writer, I can write, what can you do? You can't do anything. And it was just this one amazing moment where I was like, okay, these writers kind of like, even though they're like these little artists that 
kind of start from and start and may end with nothing. Um, it, it's it's it was kind of poignant. Just just uh, I remember thinking that that line was so awesome. It was just saying, I can I can do this, and even if everything falls apart, um, I still have that, and you have nothing to your name. Right. Yeah, well, take well, pride in your talents and yeah. own that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such a that's a great. Great mantra. Well, I, I could see as a writer why you would like that so much. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't, I mean, why don't we actually talk about the experience uh, working with these actors? I mean, a lot of our audience are, mm-hmm. are actors and, and new filmmakers and entrepreneurs like within the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Now you've worked, you, you've been in this industry, you, you said for 15 years, you know, now you've worked with some of the top brass talent in town and you've also worked with, you know, the lower brow talent as well, mm-hmm. I'm sure. I mean, what's the biggest difference? Honestly, I, this is something that I just found, and this is my own personal experience, but working with guys that, that have so much experience, like a Kevin Bacon or a Forrest Whitaker, they don't really change things in the script. The, what they'll do is they'll try to attack it, and they'll they'll sit there and try to figure out how to do it best, whereas younger actors will try to tailor it towards them or say, this doesn't make any sense, or they're, they're almost afraid to say the word sometimes, and they're afraid to do the scene the way it was written. And I'm not defending writers and saying that the, their word is God, but what I found is there's a lot more alterations and there's a lot more notes mm. by younger, newer writers, and there's a lot less with some of the older actors. Right, right. That's right, right, actually right, right. really interesting. It was, it, you know, something that like my mentor, I was, you know, very common in saying like Nina Fosh was uh, my mentor's mentor basically, and that was one of the things that that she would say is that instead of trying to change the line in the script, you know, if that line makes you uncomfortable, there's mm-hmm. a reason why the writer put that in there. Yeah. You know, and it, so feel that that uncomfortableness and, and make that be a part of your performance. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, I didn't I, I worked on very um, malleable TV shows. A lot of them were network shows, but they, they were still like if you got the message across, if you got the scene across, you were OK. So a lot of times. Writers were okay saying, you can change what you'd like. If you want to change a word, you can change the line. That's fine. You don't want to say this line. That's fine. Right. But there are shows out there like Law & Order where they will – they're very specific. Like, so I'd assume anything in the Dick Wolf camp like Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, they're very specific with what they do. They don't really want – because they have a lot of exposition that mm-hmm. they need to get out. And right. the, the way that their shows are set up, it's all exposition. And then there's only these little poignant moments of character in those episodes – and if you watch an epi- episode of SVU, they'll do that. Like you'll you'll see Mariska Hargitay give a look that's very small, and then it's very emotional. And the rest of the show is driven by plot, right? So if you go in there and you try to change the plot, you try to change the way the the tenor of the show is or the tempo of the show is as an actor, they might not respond to that that well. So, mm-hmm. well, most most other shows they might be okay with it, but then there's there are those exceptions, and you don't want to mess up on an exception. You don't want to end end up on a show where the writer is really looking for you to dictate those words right and and you know it might not work out and if it you know if you hit the guy at the wrong time or if you hit the show at the wrong time then it's not it's not gonna be a great experience right right. now a lot of the writers are they producers on the shows for television yeah for the the way it works the way it works in tv is you uh produce your own episodes even as, as a staff writer and then as you move up the chain it's a little like freshman year sophomore year junior year senior year and as a junior, you're automatically even. So you, as a junior, you went to school for three years. Mm-hmm. You're in high school in your third year, and it's the same thing. You you move up the producer rank, so you are technically a producer and physically a producer on the show as you move up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, like a little insight into the uh, into the world of the, network the writer, writing, network writing, television. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. So now, okay. So now, what I mean, what was it like working with Anthony Hopkins? Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's really great. He's um, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he memorizes scripts, like from. So he'll put like you know three computer screens in front of him and read the script over and over and over again, reads all of the parts for all the other actors, and he makes sure that he ingests the whole movie as a story. So then he, not only does he have a, an arc or he has his own scenes that he does, but he sees how it fits in in the rest of the movie. And this was very much an ensemble movie. There's different storylines happening, and he didn't have to do that, right. but he did it, and he, stu- and he had thoughts and notes on the whole entire thing and then thoughts and notes on his own character. And when... We talked about character. He he was very specific about what he wanted to do. He came he kind of came in and said, "I I knew this gentleman." And he was a little dodgy about who the gentleman was, but, but he said that he worked for he used to work maybe at the Kremlin, and he was just this Russian uh, spy slash aristocrat that was very sketchy in what he did. And he said that he acted a certain way. He wanted to kind of emulate that in in this character he was playing, and then ultimately he, what he was trying to go for is a young Joseph Stalin. Yeah, and um, I think he got there. It was really great. Wow. That's, you're like, well, I, th- I think he got there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Well, I, yeah, I just don't know anything about Stalin outside of what he told me. <laughs> you know oh, what nice. I love about that story is it shows how much homework and how much dedication. Yeah. Um, even even people who have extraordinary talent and yeah. extraordinary experience still put into yeah. a project that they're on. I, I mean, it it just goes to show like. Like why they are where they are because they go they go further than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and, and he, continuously, a guy like him could have easily phoned it in. And you know, I don't fault that. But like these, you know, these guys that are kind of they, they can kind of come into a movie and and you know do their part and then leave. Right. He could have easily phoned it in. But you know, these are both him and uh, literally, literally the one of the biggest surprises is him and everybody else on the on on the show were so supportive of the movie and wanted to hear about how the the progress was, of the movie was kind of unfolding and then they want to see cuts and they want to see give notes and everyone was very is very much like a a big family of filmmakers right yeah. where you don't feel that way when you're trying to make offers and trying to say you know talk to agents and say well Anthony Hopkins will he do this will he do that and then when you get in front of these people they're like regu- regular people they're like right. what do you want me to do yeah. tell me like right. is this the character you want I'm down let's do that you know and that is so cool. It's such a collaborative art form, movie making or, or TV and filmmaking, and it, and it's like when everybody's attitude on set is just a hundred percent for the project. Yeah. It, it just you see it in the end result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know. So uh, that that's awesome. That's so cool. And, and you know, I th- I think something that we're realizing as a, as a growing production company, as a team that's been going now for three years, is that like you know we know who we love to work with. We know, you know, who are reliable and we can see the signs of good and bad before we work with anybody. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's just one of those things. And, and we know too, like when we come off of a set that we were truly passionate about and we loved and so was everyone else, like the end result is always flourishing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and it's, it's the more, what's exciting is the more you do it, the better you become. So as a filmmaker, whether you're a multi-hyphenate, whether you're a producer, or director, or a producer, or writer, or producer, executive, whatever it is, whatever, however many hats you wear, the more you learn on one show, it's almost like you're like, oh, I want to fucking do this again because I really want to get out there and prove that I could do it better than I did last time. Yeah, right. And if right. you have a whole group of people that do that, which is generally like the stride you want to hit, you know, with other filmmakers, 
if you have a crew of people that want to do that, then you're you're golden. I mean, there's a reason why Wes Anderson works with the same crew, right? You know, over and over and over. I think some of his crew haven't changed in like 20 years, right? And, you know, he yeah. it's it, not only is it safe to work with the people that you already know, you know what to expect of them, and you then you know you also have a shorthand where you don't have to explain stuff, right? And, mm-hmm. Right. You know, a lot of times. Um, I don't know. Production's a lot about explaining. Where you don't yeah, really yeah. need to. Yeah. No. No. That that's that's kind of funny because we know, like, we have a shorthand when we're on set. We have a shorthand in the office, and and it's very interesting. Like, it's it's funny to look at from an outside perspective. You know, coming in and working with with a, uh, with a team that's been together for years. You know, and like you just kind of watch and you see how seamless they move together. Yeah. And and for us, like. Because we're so in our shorthand, you know, we kind of forget that, like, there's other teams out there that also, like, you know, that have been working together for years mm-hmm. that, of course, they have their own shorthand and, yeah. and their own communication. And you if know? you're crewing up, the best way to kind of discover that is find departments. Find a, an art department that has worked together over and over, a sound department that has mm. worked together over and over. And you can really see the benefits of that very quickly, yeah. um, you know, if you're crewing up and... So what are some tips for like for like finding a good crew? Like say, you know, say that we've got like a new set, like there's a there's a sound guy, he's a lone wolf and he wants to he wants to get on board a good team. Yeah. Or there's an actor who's sort of like, you know what, I want to learn a little more camera, I want to get out there and 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 you know, be on some more projects. Yeah. And, and not just finding as like the executive producer finding the people, but like if you're a camera guy to find your crew you know, that mm-hmm. you want to be a part of and work with. There's so many departments that have very specific jobs that I don't know enough about, but I would say the people that are kind of come in and really want to learn and the, and the true sponges are the best people to have on set because they will do whatever it takes to make sure that the job is done right. Whereas, you know, um, so, you know, in terms of that, uh, I don't know enough about each department of every crew, but I would say the people that learn, want to learn are the people that you want to crew up the most. They're the people that are kind of sponges and eager to learn are probably the best that that doesn't but that doesn't mean that they're the most talented you know you you really want to find i I would say if it's a very important department like art department or wardrobe or (coughs) especially camera you just have to look at their work Mm -hmm. you have to see like what they've done and you, you know it's not about having a reel with the best cinematography it's about having what you can do with the money that you had and if you shot it on an iphone and it looks amazing, and you, and and real cinematographers can tell how much ca- tender love and care was put into a shot that moves or a shot that is lit really well. Right. They'll they'll know, so they'll say that's the kind of kid we want. He wants to learn, and he also knows how to light. You know? Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Right. He so. he he can find the subtleties. Right. There's the passion, and also there's the the eye and the and the vision. Yeah. Yeah. What about like kind of just getting out and 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 networking? I'm like. You know, even for the actor, it's like, you know, having that team is huge. Having, yeah. having, um, having that reliable group of, of friends that you can say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm kind of having trouble finding work right now. What's, yeah. what's, what's out there? Well, it depends on how, what you mean by networking. Like networking can mean I, I need to go out and meet a bunch of people that, I might, that might lead towards work or do I network with a crew of my own type of people so we can support each other. Um, did you mean like uh, actor groups or actor... Well, I like I like that that you you're throwing out two of those distinctions, and I think I think they're, it's good to have a little bit of both yeah. at times. So um, maybe let's start with with kind of just getting out there and and throwing a wider net. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, I think you should meet as many people as you possibly can. You have to, like, it's a very social business, and you know, even if you're an antisocial person 
or that might become your the way that you work best. Meaning, if you're a writer and you can sit home and and sit in a dark hole and write some of the most beautiful prose in the world, or if you're an actor that can channel into something and really, really turn in a, a subdued, amazing, dark performance. When the camera stops or when the right when the script is over, you have to be able to get out there and sell that. You mm -hmm. know, you have to be able to tell people what it is that you were special at doing. And I, you know, one of the this is just a very overall kind of um, meta note to most people. Like nobody's gonna do it for you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really sad, but there's even if you have an agent, even if you have the best agents in Los Angeles, they're not gonna do it for you. Like you really have to constantly remind people what your voice is, who you are, what your specialty is, and why you're good at it, and then show them over and over. And a lot of times that has to do with making, you know, creating your own content. Yeah. Writing new material or filming new scenes or, you know. Whatever you can do. Now, now talking on agents and representation, I mean, would you say, you know, is there a balance between, like, representation that, one, cares about you as an actor, but also, two, has some of their own relationships and clout within the industry? Is that an important factor for someone being represented as a director yeah, or an absolutely. actor? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you, you want to... Well, here, you, you can look at it the other way. Like, when you're not... When you're with an agent and you're not doing the things you want to do, generally your first thought as a performer goes to, he doesn't know the right people. She doesn't know the right people. She's not connected in the right ways. Um, that's not necessarily always true. Sometimes, mm -hmm. for one, your material might not be that good. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And you have an inflated sense of self. Or two, um, they, they, they're just not selling your type in that moment. You right. know, like if, if it, pilot season is very different than... Than, than casting a sci-fi movie, than casting, you know, other other things. So you really have to think about what's going on in, in the outside world before uh, you make that but uh, the, make that distinction. But with, with agents in particular, I you know, I cannot stress this enough. Agents, even if when you get an agent, it feels like when you get that right agent that everything is going to change. But really, you have to be much more proactive than you have been before you got that agent to really go out and sell yourself and sell what it is that you are, what it is that you want to do. Right. And, and by, by that, I mean, you know, like it's, it's really constantly creating and constantly being artistic and constantly. And showing it. Distributing. Yeah, challenging yourself and then, and then constantly sending that to that agent and saying, okay, well, this is, an, this is another little thing I did. It's, it's, you right. Know, right. Yeah. I, I think one of the hardest things to do, you know, after you have all the training and after you have, all the performancing, the performance, and and then even when you produce your own short film or, or feature or or web series, is the whole distribution aspect of everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, now there's there's so many medias of outlet. Like it's just it's so cluttered without like a focused pinpoint of distribution or focusing on a market sure. that you want to hit. Sure. I mean, it's it's it like around last year. You know, if you wanted to get more, like truly viral if you wanted to go like, get like an insane amount of hits it almost seems like you needed a cute cat or some kind of an accident or some kind of you know something that that sells yourself entirely you know something that's insanely fast and insanely gratifying to people or insanely funny right right but you know the reality is what happens to those people that want to create a great drama as a web series you know the, the, there's no flash in that. So mm -hmm. it's really hard to find those distributors that'll be able to plug that over and over. It's just like television, you know? It's like right. you want to you make sure that you have that distinct voice or there's something distinct about your story or your series and you have to figure out how to uh, the, crack the way to make that 
something that people something that people want to consume. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how do you feel about the whole media outlets like right now, like between mainstream television, cable television, now new media television? You know, I mean, yeah. what's your take on all of that? It it seems like networks are getting less and less of the final say, which is also interesting. You know, like. I don't know. It's still very transitional. Like right now, yeah. There, in theory, there there are Netflix and Amazons that have these this amazing clout during development season because there's there's like all these people that want to go to those networks, and then it's synonymous with what happened with HBO Showtime and about five eight years ago. They're like they want interesting voices, they want original filmmakers, they want people that challenge the norms. But I don't know. I don't know how they're monetizing all that yet. So I don't know if that that's truly you the mean same. Like- like well, Netflix well, or yeah, like if you put the 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 economics of Netflix next to CBS, yeah, CBS will would destroy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's it's not it's not that it's not that people it's that Netflix has so many different avenues for revenue that you can't tell if if people are actually going to buy Netflix for House of Cards. Like for, for HBO, for instance, right. it was a little different. They would have right. second run movies. And then they had original series. And during this series seasons, meaning like Sex and the City and The Sopranos and The Wire and all these shows would happen um, not at the same time. They would happen one after the other. And then you can kind of, as a network, I think, as a network, the H- HBO was generally able to tell what they were selling and when. Mm-hmm. And they would say, okay, it's the re- it, Sex and the City is making our network a lot of money. Right, right. right. And then, you know, traditional um, network shows have the same. They, they have Nielsen's. They can look at numbers after uh, an NCIS, and then they could look at the live plus whatever viewers, rating. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the DVR viewers. And then as an amalgamation, look at it and be like, okay, this – this show is making our network X amount of dollars, and I don't know if network Netflix still has that metrics yet. Mm-hmm. Like they, they they can certainly tell if you've how many people have watched the show. But right. I don't yeah. know if they can tell yet how many people are buying Netflix specifically for one particular thing. Right. Well, I feel I, I, th- oh. I feel like I did a survey at one point when I signed up on Netflix about what I bought. But I could just be like about why you bought it. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. smart. That, I'm yeah. sure they've got I, yeah. some well, kind of something well, going well, on. Well, I'm 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 also I mean I'm fairly sure that they can you know they can figure out like when you sign up as a Netflix viewer and like how much of what you view. And yeah. if I mean if House of Cards you know if if you've been signed up for Netflix for you know five years and then the new season of House of Cards comes on and then you watch all you know the whole new season in mm-hmm. a week like obviously that's a, a product you know, for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but also Netflix. Netflix doesn't release their uh, their data information to to people who license their product, right? So, which I find very interesting. Well, I, so. I yeah, I mean, with I, I don't know enough about this business side of it, but CBS I know can understand. We will we will sell advertisers a certain amount of commercial time, and then you know, d- depending on what what's airing, like if 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 the the market mm. for a certain show is during some kind of a sporting event or the Super Bowl, then they'll be able to know in a very distinct way how much that they want to yeah. sell this advertising time right, for. So, right, right, You know, that model still generates a, a huge um, pay check for a lot of people. And right. I don't know if that's... Netflix is certainly changing that and new media is certainly changing that, but I don't know if those those guys will ever have the same kind of system. You know? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and who knows even how long that system can really... Yeah. It's like I said. It's a, it's all in this strange transitional phase right yeah. now, and it's, yeah. it's it is exciting though too. It's, yeah, it's definitely exciting. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. I mean, you can go on Hulu and go on 
new comedies and see all these smaller independent shows. And when you find shows like Broad City or you find shows that are, like I just started watching Casual and I love that show. I just think it's amazing. And it's just, it's, it's, it's so awesome to be able to find new content like that. It's and, a good plug you know, for them. <laughs> and it's 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 really it's it's awesome because you you can kind of stumble upon these new shows that you would never have right tuned into or you would never have known about even because they don't have the advertising dollars to go out and you know put their name on every um bus Bill, station billboard or billboard bus, yeah. yeah i mean they don't need to i mean yeah. a lot of times if you're on the front page of some of these new media outlets you could you could just kind of have people stumbling upon them saying, oh, well, I'm a little bored or yeah. I'm a little stoned or I'm a little, you know, <laughs> I'm something. a little something. And, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and, and I'll check it out. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's so great. It's so amazing. Yeah. No, that's pretty awesome. Hey guys. Um, I hope you're having a good time listening to this uh, episode with Shin Shimosawa. And I'm sure you guys can't wait to get back to it. But right now, let's tell you a little bit about LA Reels. Right, we're just going to take a quick time out. So LA Reels is us, me and Brett and Tara and Clint and Xavier and, lot of other guys in the office yes and we have some cool interns now too but we are a production company making original content for all you actors out there um not only that but music videos uh short films web series and now our first feature film scramble but if you guys are looking for great original content to self-produce for yourself hit us up and we'll do everything original just for you yeah we're we're all in-house we've got you know everything from camera operators writers editors and, uh, yeah, we wear a lot of hats, but we get a lot of stuff done, and we take our quality seriously. So we want to make you have the best footage that you can possibly get. So And even even though we wear a lot of hats, we try to keep our hair nice. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's get back to the show. Woo! Hey, Shin, I would love to kind of just, like, steer into some, you know, kind of, for our listeners out there, there are a lot of these young, brand-new adventurers into Hollywood trying to, you know, plan out their, their mm. great Hollywood adventure. Um, do you have some like kind of practical advice or life hacks that you can kind of share with everybody so they can put some, something into action yeah. today? I think well, I have something about actors. Like, and this is you know, this is just because I'm dating an actor. One of the hardest things that I think that I've seen out of my actor friends, and some have done really gone on to do really great things, and some have have quit the business altogether, is that there's there's it's really hard to understand what is happening on the other side of the table. So when you walk into a casting. And you know that if what what an actor brings into a casting is entirely different than what the people that are making the decisions on the other side are thinking, and and for good reason. But when an actor comes in, I just I I, I I've seen a lot of young actors blow opportunities because of nerves or because of other stuff or because they're thinking about the wrong thing. And in reality, when you walk in the door and you're on the other side of the table and you're and an actor comes in, if they look like the role that you want to cast, you really hope that they're good. Right. You know? So you're pulling for them. Whereas an actor might think, this is intimidating. There's a lot of people around this table. They don't want me to do well. Or, you know, they want to see me, but, you know, they, they have a lot of stuff that they're bringing into these rooms. And, you know, I, if you understand the science of the room and you understand what's happening on the other side of the table, you have... You're in pre- they're in prep on a show or in a series or in a movie, and they have one or two days to find the perfect guest star or the perfect actor to cast in that role, right? These people are tired. They're stressed. They want to find... They, like, the second you walk in the door, if they light up and they look at you and they smile, they, they're like, oh, my God, this is, the, this is the girl. This is the guy. Right. 
I hope to God she remembers the words, you know? <laughs> right, right, and, right. And really, like, so, so you know, if you come in and you and you know that, it should feel a little calmer. And, right. you know, there's so much stuff that's frantic and frenzied, and there's, and there's all these things where you, these actors really want the role, but really just shed all that and just come in and say, they want me. They want me. Right. They called me in here because they want me, whether it's that's good. for a first read or a final read or a network read or you know, a, a meeting with the director, they want you every step of the way, you know, like even, even, even on a cattle call audition, they, somebody saw a picture, somebody saw a piece of tape and said, and saw something saying, I think this person can do it. Right. And that's, that's a really hard thing for actors to understand. So as you move through, if you're encouraged by the fact that you were even called in, I think you, that changes your mindset and, and your energy and, and the, your level of performance as you go through. And, and you know, this is true for, for writers also. Like when you understand why somebody reads your script and says, I liked it, but we're not going to do it. And, and, and you, you, there's like this, this kind of weird heartbreak where you're and then almost a confusion where you're like, well, if you liked it, I don't understand why you're not taking it, you're not moving on. You have to understand the science of what's happening on the other side of the table, meaning this person has to risk their job. This person has to call right. 10 people that are that he knows are going to say no, you know? These people are going to, and this, this is so true for also for agents that are represent, that are, that are passing on actors, you know? They say a lot of times, I'm really sorry, but it's not the right time for us, but I really like you. And that's true. This is all very genuine, and a lot of times it's a hard, it's a hard thing to understand. They either have somebody in that type, or they have just signed somebody that looks exactly like you, or you know, they, they, it's the person that they have to pitch to, meaning like their boss already has somebody that looks exactly like you. There's a lot of things that happen that can come up, and you know, when the more you understand about the science of the business, the better equipped you'll be as you move forward. Right, right. It, you know, it's it's funny because like what you're saying about you know a TV show and all the producers in the room. I mean, the reality is, it's like you're just a little piece in the big machine, and like they just want to fill that piece so they can move on to the big machine. Right. right. You know, and 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 we always say it too, like because you know we we basically are show running on a very small level, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like oh, where was I going with this? Make our jobs what? easier. Yes. Yeah, that's it. It's, we yeah, want someone absolutely. who's reliable, can do the job, and makes our job easier. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. I mean, that's basically the main the main goal. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So and then once you get to that point, if you're if you have the training, right? Like the, the, the one of the worst things I've seen on a set, and this is so unfortunate, is somebody that kills it in an audition, gets the role, and then they clam up on set, and uh-huh. and it never gets better. It's the weirdest thing. Like they, you know, the the director walks over and says, "Is everything all right?" The actor's like, "I can't. I just I'm just not getting the line or whatever." And you know, sometimes it's one line, sometimes it's ten, but they're just not mm. prepared, or they don't they don't have that. They don't. They, they, there's something that's blocking them. You yeah. know, there's there's a lot of nerves that are happening. And then the more takes that you do, the directors generally, and this is just in my experience, I'm thinking of three specific network shows, the directors can't tell after a while whether it's good or not because they're like, oh, I'm just thinking about how bad that first one was. <laughs> so they keep doing it, and then the crew realizes that this guy's stuttering through a scene, and the crew, the guy holding the booms, getting a little annoyed. You know, the guys that are lighting it right. all have that, like, weird vibe and energy, and the actor feels, and the actor, oh, it's just awful. So I would say, like, if you can train even on your own or you can train with friends and you can constantly be ready to to be able to channel certain things certain emotions that you have as an actor very quickly 
that's better than just saying, I know I have the talent. I can walk in and get the job. I just need the shot. Because once you get the shot, if you fuck it up, you know, it's going to be a little harder to come back into the next job. Right. It goes back to like we were talking about with Anthony Hopkins, man. You go in, do the homework for the role. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even if even if it's a one-line thing, yeah. you know, put 100% into that. Yeah. And, you know, we, we say it all the time. Like, we get these one-page scripts, and there's so much on a page. There's a lot on a there's page. There's a lot. Even one line. There's so yeah. much. Yeah. And uh, so many times I think, you know, we hear that. It's, oh, I don't need to study. I just got one line. Yeah, but you know, get in there and like take pride in that. Yeah, or think about what what, what's happening right before the line because this is what the director and the writers and the filmmakers are thinking of. They're Mm -hmm. thinking if like this is a bad example, but if it's if it's a horror movie and you kind of come in and you deliver one line in the wrong way, you you won't get the role, right? But if you deliver the line in in and it's it's it could be a funny line, but you deliver it in a very somber tone and that's that matches the rest of the movie, then you're you're probably Land it. And, and you know, you, these one-line things are a good thing to talk about because a lot of times the actors will come in and they'll just go, oh, you want me to do it a different way? Oh, you want me to do it a different way? And they'll just kind of dictate the line. But really, if you know what's happening right before it, you'll be able to nail it in the first take. And then right. generally those are the people that get hired. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's really good actually. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny how many, you know, how many pitfalls there are for actors, you know, like because once, you know, it's hard enough to get the audition. Once you get the audition, then you get yeah. the callback and then you're not nervous in the room, then you book it. Hopefully you're not nervous on set. <laughs> yeah. And then hopefully you're not cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so Yeah. But, but you a- know, that's that uh, you just have to understand that even if you do get cut, th- th- this is one in 20 to 50 different moments that you're going to have just like it you know where mm-hmm, you you, mm-hmm. you you can't look at this one line in this one show and then if you get cut you can't look at it like it's my fault meaning the actor's fault it, it, there's so much more stuff going oh there's on. so many variables that yeah, go into it absolutely. and just you know whether it's pacing whether yeah. it's it just didn't you know on on the page it was great mm-hmm. and then when it was actually you know watching it back yeah you know it just doesn't fit yeah we don't need it now, yeah. now, now, going now, talking about like relationships in this town. You know, uh, you've been here for fifteen years. So one, you came up with some guys that that I think I think you went to school with like John Liebsman and and you guys did oh, a film yeah, together. Yeah. No, no, like, we didn't go to school together, but we became friends. And you know, there's there's uh, I can't say this enough. Like when you are coming up and you have friends that you know are gonna make it, that you know that will challenge the, the way things are done. You should, and and those guys are making shorts. You should get in with them. You should you should be making shorts with any of your peers that you know will will be here for the long haul. Because the guys that I, you know, would sit around and talk about movies with, like late at night, are guys that are doing great things right now. You know, mm-hmm, like like mm-hmm. you know, John Liebsman is one of them. He's 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 a great um, director, and Lucas Etlin is another DP and Kevin Mann and Matt Prenisiar, they're, they're both producers and, you know, Adam Goldberg who created the Goldbergs, you know, oh, yeah, all, yeah, yeah. I love that show. They're all great guys that, that, um, you know, there, there was a time when everyone was very, uh, young and, and inexperienced, but you know, there was a common love for movies and media. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So and, and I mean, the, I mean, not only in your work life, but I think I think L.A. can, you know, or, or being in entertainment can can be lonely sometimes. 
you know, so I think it's very important to also not only have those great work relationships, but also just good people yeah. in general, mm-hmm. you know. And, and Leapsman would kill me for telling the story, but, <laughs> you know, him and I, he, he had done um, he had done a couple of horror movies and he had done a couple studio movies and then he'd, he was working his way through um, a s- small, like, pervasive $1 million thriller at the time. And we we're walking up Runyon, and he said, "I'm up for this huge movie, and it's called Battle Los Angeles." Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. And um, but he's like, "I'm not gonna get it. I, I'm 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 up against these big studio directors." And uh, I was like, "Oh well, you know, I hope I hope things work out." You know, I was like, "Well, what it, what is it specifically that that you think they're gonna be looking for?" And he was like, "You know, uh, it's a big special effects movie. I've never done that." And um, he took it upon himself. Like at the time, I just bought a Mac Pro, and this is 2008. And if you're a Mac nerd, you know that the 2008 Mac Pro was a pretty cool, you know, refrigerator type Mac where yeah. you can expand it. And I just filled it with all these hard drives. I got 12 gigs of RAM, and at the time, that was a lot. And it was it was just a beast, right? And he <laughs> calls me up, and it literally, like the day after I cheated out. He calls me up and says, I need to borrow your computer. And I'm like, what? And he has one. And he's like, I need to borrow it for a week. And, you know, for a Mac guy, it was like pretty heartbreaking. (laughs) But I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you need it, whatever. And he came by and picked it up. And what he was doing was he took a camera. he, he, He spent his own money, took a camera, bought a camera, and then rented some lenses and we went around Los Angeles and we were just shooting plates for for different handheld scenes that he was thinking about and he borrowed my computer and he took his computer and he bought and he built a a crappy PC and he um, called some um, uh, creature designer in India and said hey will you will you work on designing this creature and he wanted to he basically superimposed aliens inside of these scenes right yeah. and it, it was like a tiny two one minute, yeah, it was like two one minute like little vignettes of what aliens would look like walking through Los Angeles. Yeah, and he showed it to the studio, and the studio was like, "Okay, we'll give you a shot," meaning like we'll give you a, a, another step. And what he had to do was he had Aaron Eckhart for a day, and he had um, our buddy Lucas, who was a direct, who was a director of photography, and a small crew go out and shoot a sizzle reel for the studio. Yeah, and they they agreed to I think it was like thirty thousand dollars. $35,000 and then he went out and killed that and then they looked at it and they're like okay you you can you can direct this 75 million dollar yeah 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 huge movie from directing a tiny 1 million dollar movie because he had the wherewithal and the energy and the faith in himself which is huge cuz you know at the time you know that was a lot of money to spend like computers and rendering and farming out creature designs and buying a camera i mean there was a, there was right. like 10 20 grand when you don't really have 10 20 grand and he bet on himself and he said i'm i'm going to get this done so you know the moral of the story is uh, if you if you feel if you're feeling something if you're really feeling it and you know that you can do it just bet on yourself and you know try to get it done that's awesome that's phenomenal yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, I mean, what a what a cool story. I mean, yeah. just like go out there, take some risks, and and do something big when yeah. that when that opportunity presents itself and you know it. Yeah, you know, the worst thing you can do is hesitate and yeah. and and just like not go for it. Yeah, because yeah, you're gonna sit there and regret it. Like, damn, yeah. what if yeah. I what yeah. if I would have done yes, that? Yes, it's true. You're gonna regret it if you don't do anything. You're gonna regret not doing yeah. anything. Totally. Whereas if you're turned down, you're just like, eh, whatever, chalk in the bucket. And, yeah. and failing so. is is could be amazing. Like, you know, it could be a giant. Failure, but you learn so much, and you're never gonna get educated doing what it is. You're nobody's gonna take you through film school for no reason. Like you, you learn it by doing it, 
and by experimenting and even if you shoot action figures on an iPhone, at least you'll you'll learn blocking, you know. Right. Learn, yeah, like, right. Like sizes of shots, you know. Stop mo- motion action figures. And you could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. No, I, I remember um actually because I remember when John was was filming Battle Los Angeles. I've had my run ins with him, you know, in the time that I've lived in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But he was dating Terrence Southern. Yeah. And we were at the beach. And I remember he told us that he was directing that movie. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so, but, yeah, yeah, he, he he was, like, very, like, like low-key excited about it. Like, you could tell he was, like, a little giddy schoolgirl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Well, fantastic. I, I think that's where we're just about short on time. Um, do you want to sign off with any, like... Yeah, dude, yeah, any call to uh, action? any call to action for our our, our entrepreneurs or, or our actors or, or filmmakers out there? I, I guess just go out there and do it. Like, really, just do, it's really hard to to. It's really easy to to create roadblocks and reasons why you didn't do it. And I'm proof that I I just got to direct a movie and I never thought I would be able to direct a film and it just kind of happened. But I now after it happened, I wish I had started it earlier. I wish I would have had a little more faith in myself to say, I could do this. I should go out and do this and and just not be afraid of anything. So just go out and do it. Do what you want to do right now, because then you'll learn. Even if you fail, you'll learn so much and then you'll be better for the next time. Nice, excellent. And and how do we um how do we how do we stay in contact or follow what you're doing and and what do you have coming up and what's the name of your movie again? Uh, Misconduct. Misconduct. Yeah. Lionsgate film coming out this February. I think it's February sixth. Yeah. All right, Ooh, all right. All right. Well, we're looking forward to. Uh, well, maybe we'll, we'll get a link to like a, a when you have the teaser trailer. For up. sure, yeah. You know, we'll put that up in the show notes That's or something. Fine. Yeah, cool. Cool. Right. Shin, thank you so much you for being it, a part of the Great Hollywood Adventure. Yeah, brother. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thank you. Yay. That was that was awesome. Yeah. What a cool episode. That, just that that little inspiration at the end. I mean, you can go back and just rewind that, play that again, and and set your set your course right for the day. What a cool episode. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of really good specifics in there, and just just the story, the personal story that he told with uh, his buddy, and um and just just all the information out there that really kind of is eye opening for the actor and for the ent- entrepreneur in Los Angeles or at the entertainment industry. I'm um, glad you guys could stop by. Uh, keep an, an eye out for all our other upcoming episodes and also feel free to go back and listen to our previous episodes. And don't forget, this is also in Virtual Reality uh, 360, so you can go back and uh, relive the experience as if you're in the room with us in the penthouse. Yeah, so uh, we will uh, see you next time on The Great Hollywood Adventure. Ooh.